uh, just discuss and look at Christmas today. I, I'll just be honest with you. You know, Chris really set me up high with like taking the mood very spiritual, and I'm going to kind of deflate that for a second before we bring it back around. But I'll just be honest. I love Christmas. I love Christmas season, and and that's especially good being in the Philippines because we love. Christmas time in the Philippines. The Filipinos literally begin celebrating Christmas September 1st. I kid you not. September 1st, the decorations are going up in the mall. The music is playing. They begin the big placards outside the malls counting down 120 days till Christmas. It's awesome. <laughs> now, some of you, that sounds horrifying, probably. But for, for there's some of you here, right, who are like me. You love all of that. I love the music. Can't get enough of it. I love the lights. I'm loading up my family into the car, driving up and down every street. And I don't care if you just, if you're one of those houses, if you didn't put much effort and just put like the one strand of light and it's kind of crooked hanging off the house. I love it. I love driving down the streets and seeing it. I love the movies from all the classics to the cheesy Hallmark movies. I love it all. You can't get enough of it. And you know what? I know we're not supposed to, you know, we know what the true purpose of Christmas is and we're going to talk about that. But let's be honest, I love the gifts. I love receiving the gifts since a kid. You know, in fact, I even brought a box of some of my favorite gifts from Christmas past to share with you, just to give you a little insight, you know. And this is also insight into my hoarding, which I can't tell you all about. But, but, yeah, so I'm thinking back to some of my early memories, you know. I was one of those kids. I loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I still have these. I brought, kicked them out for Desmond to play with. And the funny thing about these is, how many Ninja Turtles are there? Anybody know? Four. Four. Anybody can name them all? A couple of you. I bet. Yeah, it's kind of a murmur, but it's all Italian paper. What's amazing is, there's only four of these things, and yet they managed to figure out how to repackage them. And as many ways imaginable to make a dumb kid like me say, Mom, I need another one. So, you know, you have the original, you have the next generation. But then they start to get creative. You have Civil War reenactor Ninja Turtles. I kid you not. Civil, it's crazy. I, it, Olympic Ninja Turtles. And I had them all. I'm, I'm, I'm that dumb kid who begged my parents for each iteration. So that was one gift I loved as a kid. I've got my original Game Boy here still from 1989 with Tetris. So that was a... It's amazing. Look at this thing, how big this is. This was advanced at the in the day, right? And now, you know, we got this. It's amazing to think we started with this thing, but I still have that. One of my all-time favorite gifts, though, um, is this scarf. And uh, Nikki knit this for me, actually, 11 years ago, before we were actually even dating. And she gifted it to me for Christmas. And so I've Love wearing this every Christmas and getting to have that. So I love the gift giving. I love all of that. Um, you know, it's just so much fun. But uh, you know what? That's as as fun as that is. Isn't it true that it seems like more and more every year, even with it, the Christmas season, it's kind of almost being designed now to make us discontent, dissatisfied with what we have. I mean, that's. You look around, it, Christmas season begins with Black Friday, and they're telling you, you need this, buy this, come out and, and cut your family time short, come brave the lines and get these crazy deals, because you, you sometimes you think, how do you know I need this? But they're selling at 70% off, I need to go buy that now, right? It's like this whole culture now is kind of cultivating in us a discontentment with what we have, you know? And they, it's nonstop sales by two of these and get five free 
And it just kind of cultivates us in this need that I need to go buy that. I need to go spend that. I'm not happy with what I have. I need the latest, the newest, the upgraded model. And it, it just kind of cultivates this this discontentment inside of us now. It's hard to get away from that, even amidst the excitement and the fun of Christmas. This, You know, I was talking to Desmond. We get this into our head. You know, at school, they actually did an assignment where he had to categorize stuff between want versus need. And he did really good with it. But then the other day, he was telling me, he had seen this toy at the store, and he's like, Dad, I need that toy. I need that toy. And I'm like, but, okay, we just learned this. There's a difference between want versus need. Is that a want or a need? It's a want, buddy. And he's like, I'm not saying you won't get it, but I'm saying it's a want. And he's like, no, I need that toy. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's what's being cultivated in us. And as we look at this passage today, I want to challenge us that the Bible has a great deal to say here about striving for true contentment in Christ. And it builds off of what Chris has been talking about. We can't have contentment in Christ unless we've had peace in Him and through Him. But really, what we'll see here is it's, this is actually a very deep and, and kind of complicated passage. As I dug into it, it's not as simple as it seems, as straightforward as it seems. So I want us to begin by just reading the passage here. And it's Philippians chapter 4. If you want to turn there with me, Philippians 5, chapter 4, we're going to pick off where Chris has left off and read verses 10 through 20 and see what Paul has to say to us about striving for true, deep contentment in Christ. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's think about this the context of what Paul's writing here, because that's important for us to understand. You know, as we've discussed in the weeks past, Paul's writing from prison. He's writing from not a great situation. He's been imprisoned for preaching the gospel, and he's writing to this church. And, and what's beautiful about this letter to the Philippians is there's really not much negativity in it. You know, when he writes to Corinth, he has to talk to them about sin issues. When he writes to the Galatians, they're falling into legalism. When he writes to Philippi, this church that he loves and cares for deeply, they're not really struggling with any major issues. He's more just encouraging and exhorting them. But he is teaching them in this moment. So going back to verse 10, he begins by saying he's received a gift they've sent to him. You know, he, it's an interesting thing, but they could receive gifts. They could be cared for in prison. 
They had very little in prison in the, in those days, but you could actually be ministered to, receive visitors, and be cared for. And they have sent him a generous gift to care for his needs, and he's received it, and he's glad for that. So he thanks them for that. But he also wants the, them to understand. And, and Paul's walking a tricky line here so he doesn't get misunderstood. He also wants them to understand that even before he received their gift, he was content in Christ. He was content when he was still in need. But he doesn't want them to think he's ungrateful either. He wants them to understand there's this tricky line he's, he's walking where I'm content in all situations. He goes on in verse 11, as we see there, he says, you know, I don't say this out of need, for I learn to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. That word for content there, the Greek word, really would have grabbed their attention, actually. So it's not a word commonly used um, except with the Stoics. Now, if you're, you've probably heard of Stoicism or being Stoic, but for the Stoics, the Greek philosophers who were Stoics, contentment was a matter of self-sufficiency. I can face any situation by my own strength. I can face it all and get through it. Um, one of their great philosophers, Seneca, said, The happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances. It meant to be independent. I don't need anybody. I don't need you. I don't need anybody because I can get through the situation on my own. That's what contentment was for the Stoics. But that's not what Paul means here. In fact, he's really turning that idea of contentment completely on its head because he's saying it's not, true contentment is not based on self-sufficiency. It's based on God's sufficiency. I am content not because I'm not dependent on anybody, but because I'm truly dependent on God for everything. And because of that, I don't have to worry about my situation. God's in control. He supplies my need. He will take care of me. And so he begins to unpack this for them, that this is the true sense, source of being content in any and all situations, being brought low or abounding, having plenty or being hungry, having abundance or having need. The, the secret is being content in Christ. This could easily be misunderstood. We can easily misunderstand what true contentment is. And develop a wrong theology out of this. We can. Some people developed a theology of prosperity. Even the Pharisees in Jesus's day had that idea that if you're wealthy, it's because God has blessed you. You're more spiritual. And we can come to this idea that we see that in amongst those who say name it and claim it. If you have wealth, God has blessed you. And we can develop a theology of prosperity where we think wealth means God's hand is upon me. But we can also take it to the optics extreme, as has been done many times in history, where this extreme asceticism, this, this idea that this theology of poverty, that those who are poorest are those who are the most spiritual, because they have neglect, you know, many times in history, there's groups of monastic orders that would say, we will live without anything, we'll forego any pleasures, any comforts in this world to get closer to God, to attain a more spiritual state. And Paul doesn't say that either. He doesn't say, you shouldn't have sent this gift because I was better off, I was in a more spiritual state, I was more content without your gift. But he doesn't revel in the gift either. He's saying, I will be content no matter what because my contentment is in God. And so he's walking this line here. The secret really comes down to verse 13, which is a verse we probably could already, all of us, most of us, 
quote by heart, right? You've probably quoted that verse many times. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. But how often have we actually thought about the context where that verse has appeared? Many times, and I know I have done as well, it was one of my favorite verses when I was growing up because on its own it sounds so great. We can interpret that as, I can do anything because through God who strengthens me. I can do everything through God who strengthens me. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying that specifically in the context of, I can endure seasons of plenty and seasons of lack because God is my strength. He will help me find true contentment in him. And so it's important that we understand the true meaning of that verse. This is why the peace of God Paul elaborated on previously is so crucial to experience the contentment of Christ. God's peace leads to the unique Christian ability to be truly content. In our world today, we we see around us that no matter how much you have, how much possessions or what items you you own, the latest, the greatest, how much money you make, you're never going to truly be content. But when you have Christ strengthening you through the ups and downs of life and through every circumstance, we can achieve true contentment. So first I want I want to kind of unpack two things through this passage then, this and go a little bit deeper on the secret of being content, which is dependency on Christ, not ourselves. And then we'll talk about the result of being content. But to really see, you know, okay, Christ strengthens me to be content, but what does that really mean? How do I achieve that? I think the answer is really in the previous chapter, in Philippians chapter 3. Looking at Philippians 3, Paul set all of this up, this, this idea of contentment in Christ. And just jumping a little bit through chapter 3, first of all, in verse 7 and 8, it says this, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, everything in life is a loss compared to the surpassing value of possessing Christ in our lives. And that's really the first step to understanding the secret of true contentment is valuing Christ above everything else. That's, a, that's hard because we struggle with that in our hearts, but Christ should be of such surpassing value that when he is, he is the thing we love and cherish and desire the most, then we can be content regardless of our situations, just like Paul. Verse 9 through 11, he elaborates a little bit more. He says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul then elaborates and he says, when our righteousness is from him, when our standing with God is sure, when our goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his sufferings, when we're conformed to his death, then true contentment is possible in all situations and circumstances. We can approach suffering knowing that our suffering, we get to experience a little bit of what Christ did on our path and our our part in sharing that. When we experience plenty, we get to experience a little bit of glimmer of the true plenteousness that we will experience in heaven where every need will be supplied. And so when we 
are conformed to Christ and experiencing Him in that way, plenty and poverty become sources to know and experience Christ more. Verse 13 and 14 then says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. When Christ is our prize and our experience of him is is what we truly cherish the most, then we can pursue him and and experience more and more contentment in our lives. And then verse 15, it says this, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. As Christians, we're supposed to be maturing more and more spiritually, increasing in our relationship with Christ, deepening in our love for Him. And as we mature, more and more contentment will come into our lives as well. And so Paul's outlining through all of this the experience of how we can have contentment through Christ, how He can strengthen us to do that. That's a little bit about the secret of being content. But what's also incredible about this passage is, and and this is where it gets a little tricky, is the result of being content. The result of being content, going back to chapter 4, is generosity. And that's not to say we can't be generous. You know, we, we we may know plenty of people who don't know Christ who are generous, but true contentment in Christ will lead us to a radical generosity that is, is kind of tricky as we look through this passage. You know, Paul, as he goes through, he, he's explaining to them, because you have been content in Christ, you were generous and gave to me, and I've received it. And, and so the thing is, it, that's a tough thing. We need to be humble enough when we're lacking to receive. You know, sometimes pride can, can step in. We don't want to take advantage of others, or we think, I need to be able to take care of myself. We need to be able to receive generously. We need to be able to give generously, not hold on to what we have, not cling to it and think that's the end-all, be-all. And so there's this continuous flow when we have contentment in Christ of what we have from one person to another. It's not a flattening out of status, like under communism. It's not redistribution of wealth and everybody's equal. Now, there's some who have and some who do not, but when we're truly content in Christ and and experiencing the fullness of generosity in Christ, we have no problem letting go of what we have and giving to others. We have no problem receiving when we are in times of want because we know God will then later lift us up and we can then be generous. There's a constant flow back and forth of generosity. You know, that's, that's tough to kind of wrap our heads around. Um, you know, Paul's trying to show this this to them because he's saying, I'm grateful to you. Thank you for giving to me. But also, if you hadn't given to me, I'd be grateful as well. We kind of can tend to think about, this is what I need, this is what I want. We can get stuck in our circumstances looking at it. And, and as we read earlier in chapter 4, though, Paul commands us, don't be anxious about anything. Don't let that weigh on you. Don't let that drag you down. You know, this is a time of year when there's a lot of anxiety, right? It's not only the anxiety, as that video showed, the Christmas chaos, the the pressures to be at all of these events, the 
pressures to give the perfect gift to people. It's harder and harder, right, to give gifts. Isn't it hard to give good gifts now? Because there's just so much out there. There's so much selection. It's hard to know what people want or going value. You know, you run the risk of, are they just going to say that's trash and, and like, why would you give that to me? That's pointless. Are they going to truly cherish it? When they, or are they going to think, man, I wish you'd just give me money and I can go buy my own thing, right? You know, it's hard to be generous now because there's that anxiety of gift giving. There's the anxiety of, of receiving. Are we going to have a, a heart of contentment and say, thank you for what you've given me and truly be receiving of that with gratitude? Or are we going to think, man, I wish I'd had this or I want to go get that. That person got something better than me. It's a tricky time. It's a tricky time of anxiety as well because, you know, how you know this is a time of year when there's the pressure, right, to to get things. Sometimes spending money we don't have. You know, this is the time when credit card companies, you know, they're hearing to ching because you know people are spending money left and right. Businesses are trying to entice you into the store, and there's all this anxiety around the holidays. We're told to be anxious for nothing, to not worry about those things, to be content in Christ, to know how to generously give, to generously receive, and and take joy in that. You know, Paul, as he as he as he speaks these words to him, he he is grateful for their gift because ultimately it's not about him receiving the true contentment of it, it because it's a fragrant gift offering to God. He says, when you give. It's really not about me. It's about God. You're worshiping Him and you're giving. And you're being a blessing to others and, and therefore bringing glory to Him. And so it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic he, he outlines here. Um, you know, this was a church that had been deeply generous for Him. And, um, and so we see that here. And, of course, I love how the passage ends because... As Paul is wont to do, just he's he's always quick to just drop in those those exaltations, glory to God, like just in all situations, he's just always quick to just praise God. I'm in prison, praise God. I'm you know I've been given much because you know I'm sure in Philippi it was a place where he experienced abundance. One of the first people he he led to Christ there, um, Lydia was a merchant who was probably wealthy. And so that was a place where he probably was able to be treated and sit down to hearty meals. And he said, praise God. And there's other times he's in prison in Philippi. And he says, praise God. He's just always quick there to just turn it all back to God. And so we see just because of the contentment in Christ that he has, he's able to just always say, now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that. So, as we look at Christmas this year, I want to challenge us to take three action steps in our lives because ultimately the greatest gift we can receive is Jesus Christ. I love the passage in um, the Gospels where Jesus is speaking and he talks about gift giving. He talks about how, how many of you know how to give good gifts? He says, how many of you, if, you're, if your children ask for bread, will give them a rock? He says, you don't know. You wouldn't do that. If they ask for a fish, you'd give them a snake. He says, you'd be terrible gift givers. He says, you know how to give good gifts. You know how to supply people's needs. And he says, 
God, our Father, will give the greatest gifts. He knows how to give the best gift. And Christ is speaking as one who is the best gift, the gift of this season, the gift we celebrate and rejoice. It's important for us to remember that everything we have, everything we celebrate, everything we get to receive is from Christ himself, and, and we're thankful for that. So we need to look at Christ and understand how to give the best gifts this year. And first, if we want to have contentment in life, first of all, we have to receive the gift of Christ. We have to receive the gift of Christ. If we haven't received Christ, we can't be content. We can't experience true contentment. Um, I love that in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. He said, to know Christ, to receive him, is, is the greatest gift. If we receive a gift and then leave it in the box, man, have we really received that? We, you know, when we, at Christmas time, I love seeing the, the joy on my kid's face when they open up those presents, when they see those gifts they've received. And then what do they do? They don't just, okay, that's a nice box. That's a great toy. I'm glad you got that for me. Let me put that aside. No, they want to dig that out. They want to open that. They want to unpack it and truly experience the joy of the gift that's inside that box, right? It'd be foolish to leave it inside the box and to ignore it. And the same thing for us. Be foolish for us to say, well, I've received Christ, but I'm not going to unpack him and truly experience him. So many people this time of year, and 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 it's kind of the sad part, but we say, you know, there's so many people this time of year who go through Christmas and they don't really unpack Christ and experience him and see the fullness of him. As I said, I love all those, those trappings of Christmas, the lights, the music, the movies. But in the end... There's not really any deep fulfillment. They're fun. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to experience that with your family. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to experience those things and then to never unpack Christ for Christmas, man, that's a tragedy. Because we miss the, the whole gift we've received and truly miss out on experiencing the fullness of, of what we've been given. So we need to receive the gift of Christ. Um, so those who receive him are the children of God and have salvation. If there's anybody here today who has not received him, I encourage you, receive Christ this season. This is the greatest time of year to receive the true gift of the holidays. Secondly, we need to cherish the gift of, of Christ. We need to truly cherish the gift we've received. If we've received him, this is the next thing for us to commit to today. In fact, we're looking forward to, in a couple of new weeks, a new year. It's a time when we reflect on our lives, right? When we begin to look at ourselves and say, look back at the past year and look at our successes, our failures. Look back and see, man, I, I really messed up there. Or see, man, that was, that was a good experience. And we, need, and we look forward to the new year and, and begin to evaluate. I don't, know, I don't know. I don't hear about it as much anymore. It seems like the, our culture is kind of abandoning New Year's resolutions. Does anybody still make those? Do you, do you make a New Year's resolution, write them out? and look and reflect on the new year, I'd encourage you, this is the time of year where we don't just receive the gift 
of Christ, but we cherish it by looking forward to the year and examining ourselves, saying, Am I, have I truly matured since last year, this time? Have I advanced in my Christian walk? Or have I taken steps backwards? And maturing is, is like, you know, supposed to be like a good cheese, right? As we grow in Christ, as we get older in Christ, it's, uh, you know, I can't say I've eaten any real old, fragrant cheeses, but, you know, isn't that the goal? It's, it, we sh- it's supposed to gain more flavor, more, more power, more texture to it. That's what our Christian life is supposed to be maturing, not like milk that's curdling as it gets older, right? Nobody wants to drink, you know, you, you, you know as soon as you smell that carton of milk, you know if it's bad, right? And for some of us in our Christian walks, isn't it true that sometimes, some years, we look back and say, wow, I, I think I've taken a couple steps backwards. You know, Christ wants us to mature in Him, to grow in Him, to deepen our bond in Him. And, and so we need to look forward to this new year and, and set goals and say, Christ, I want to experience more of you. I want to improve in these areas. Actual concrete goals, like Christ, this is the sins I'm struggling with right now. Help me gain victory over those this year. Help me to progress in that. Christ, this is how generous I was this year, but I want to experience more of you. I want to show more generosity. Christ, this is how I've served you, but I know I can do more for you, and I want to. I want to experience more of you. So now's the time for us to cherish him and truly reflect on the new year and make goals to pursue him more in our lives, to place him more at the center of our lives. I encourage you to even maybe take it as you write down those New New Year's resolutions, to write down, today is the day I'm going to cherish the gift of Christ. Don't go through the season and and miss out on cherishing the gift of Christ that, that we've received. And then to take it back around to where Chris began us in this Advent season, the third thing, we need to receive the gift of Christ, we need to cherish the gift of Christ, we also need to share the gift of Christ. Said that this week is the week of proclamation. I love that in the nativity, in you know the whole Christmas story, it's full of proclamation. You have the sh- the angels proclaiming Christ to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. You have the shepherds who then see the baby, baby Jesus. They see the born Messiah, and then they go out and proclaim it. You have the the wise men who the magi who travel in from afar, who alert the the the, the scribes who are unaware of all this happening, and say we're looking for the Messiah, the, the King who's been born, and they proclaim that and announce his his birth. This time is all about sharing the gift of Christ as well. We need to share about the gift we've received from God. Don't keep it to yourself. We're commanded to tell everyone about it, to help them experience that gift as well. Think about what you do every year after Christmas, right? You see your friends, you talk about, hey, what did you get for Christmas? We swap stories, we tell about what we've received, the gifts we've had, the experiences we have. We talk about our family reunions and and Christmas parties, and we, and we tell those stories, what we should tell is the greatest gift, the greatest story from our Christmas. 
and celebrate that with those around us. Jesus is the best gift any of us have ever received. Have ever received. He's better than the newest video game system, the latest iPhone. He's better than that sweater your aunt sent you. He's, he's better than any gift we've received. And we need to be excited to tell people about that, to share that with them. We should be busting at the seams, ready to share about that. There's a whole world around us who needs to experience and share in the joy that is Christmas. So let's show them how they can receive it as well. So I want to challenge you. Let's, as we go through this Christmas season, look for ways to share about the joy of Christ. People know about it, and yet they forget about it. I love that that bit in the Peanuts, the Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Charlie Brown just yells, would somebody just tell me the meaning of Christmas? He just wants to know, what's this all about? And then Linus gets up and tells him. We need to be like Linus, ready to share what the true meaning of Christmas is, that God the Father loves us. He gave us the best Christmas gift. He sent his son into this world to bring salvation, to redeem us, to bring us peace on earth. And as we shared about last week, we need to be giving the God of peace to others, to helping them experience it. So I want to end us in prayer today and challenge us in that. And then uh, we'll, have a little, we'll be done a little early. We can mingle and talk a little bit. But uh, I just want to thank you all and challenge you to have a great Christmas season focused on the true gift of contentment in Christ that he wants to give us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. I thank you that through your Son, you've brought us peace on earth, that you've reconciled us to you those who have received the gift of Christ, who have experienced Him, experienced the gift You've given us. I thank You that You sent Your Son in this world to save us, to, to forgive us of our sins, to adopt us into Your family, Lord. I pray that as we go about this Christmas season, that even you know, it's, as we enjoy the trappings of the holidays, we enjoy the times of family and, and gift-giving and receiving as we enjoy all of those things. That we'd also, just in the back of our mind, remember that ultimately our contentment should be in you. And that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our, our situation, what we have and don't have, our, our needs and our times of plenty, that you are the greatest gift we've received, and in you, by your strength, we can be content in all times, in all ways. I pray you'd help us to be generous in giving and receiving, be willing to help those in need, and be willing to humbly accept help when we're in need. And in that way, we can be a blessing to each other. We can be bonded in fellowship and partnership in proclaiming the gospel and caring for each other, Lord. And I pray that as we go about this Christmas season, we'd receive the gift of Christ. We would cherish the gift of Christ, and we would share that gift with this world around us, with our neighbors, our friends, our family. There's time we get to see people and catch up with with old friends and, and family members, that we would be willing to share the gift of Christ with them and, and share about the hope we have. And the 
peace and contentment we have in you, Lord. We just thank you for this day of celebrating and proclaiming your name. In Jesus' name, amen.